Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Welcome to our now annual Valentine's Day special edition of Beneath the Wing called Love in the Military, co-hosted with the love of my wife, my life. Here I'm off to a flying start. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Oh, Mark, this is one of my favorite things I get to do as your spouse, but as your military spouse. Um, joining us today, we've, we have Tech Sergeant Nick Baker of the 133rd Medical Group and his husband, Alex Thomas. Welcome. Thank you. Nick is a respiratory therapist. I know I'm saying it wrong, Nick, and you'll correct me in a second, both here at the Wing and for the Veterans Administration. Uh, and Alex is a principal chemist for Ecolab. Did I get that right? Correct. Fantastic. Cool thing. And they're newlyweds. So let's start with your story. How did you guys find each other? What's your love story? We met on um, one of the one of the many dating apps, um, Tinder or something of that nature. Um, we met, uh, we found common interests, um, and this was right at the start of COVID, just before all the COVID lockdowns happened. Um, thankfully, I had a piece of paper that said I was allowed to be out and about because I was medical, <laughs> although I never got pulled over going to Alex's. Um, but we met, we had dinner, uh, and watched a movie the first night. Um, Alex was amazed at how much uh, gross amount of food I put away at one point in time. <laughs> I felt bad because I just kept eating. Um, and then uh, and then shortly after we met, uh, before our second date, I got sick, and I was sick for about a week. I don't know what I had. I don't know if it was COVID or not, but I couldn't even move off the couch. And Alex actually thought I was ghosting him. Uh, as it were, that you know, I didn't want to see him again, and I was just slowly backing away, backing away, and then I was just gonna uh, ignore him. Uh, and you know, two and a half years later, that is not what happened. <laughs> that is not what ended up happening. Um, but yeah, it's it, we we clicked almost immediately um, when we started spending time together. Yeah, Alex, what were the challenges during COVID for you? Uh, for me, it was kind of the. I mean, I was used to going to the office every single day you know, five days a week. But then uh, once lockdown happened, we were fully remote. Uh, I still did uh, kind of some lab work as part of my job. Um, so we went in because we were considered, still considered essential uh, as related to that. Um, so I was in the lab at the beginning, probably like once a week, uh, but then kind of moved on more and more. I spent more time at home. Um, so I definitely lost uh, a social aspect of my life because, uh, you know, I used to like go with friends and stuff on weekends, but then once COVID happened, that kind of stopped. And then I didn't see anybody at work because I wasn't in an office. Uh, so really the most social interaction I had was Nick on a frequent basis. And then uh, with him kind of being medical too, there'd be times where, you know, he would work five days in a row and I decided like wouldn't see him, but we were made it work. So yeah. not ghosting, just working and not, being not, sick. Yeah, not ghosting, working and being <laughs> sick. It's... 12 hours in the ICU day after day, I just, I get home and I'd be like, I'm sorry, I've got to get up again at, you know, five o'clock in the morning. And I, at the time I was in living in Oakdale 
um, and working at St. John's Hospital out in Maplewood. Mm -hmm. And Alex was living in Egan, so it wasn't necessarily a short drive to get down there, but um, you know, I was like, you know, I'm all I'm all COVID gross, I need to shower, I just want to go to bed, you know, my next day off is whatever day, you know, I'll come down after work that night and I'll, you know, stay the night and then, you know, we can spend the day together tomorrow or whatever. So. Yeah. Did you guys figure out any unique ways to build that connection since you had a new relationship in the middle of a pandemic? We found new TV shows to kind of binge watch together. Um, stuff that we had enjoyed. And then whenever I had, um, I would occasionally bring my dog with me um, and we'd take her for walks around, um, especially when it got warmer outside. So we did a lot of walking together. Um, we drove up north at one point in time up to... Um, Gooseberry? Up to, yeah, we went up to Gooseberry Falls yeah. over that summer um, to do some hiking, kind of stuff like that, walk around the falls. We have um, a love and a share of nature and that kind of thing. So anything engaging to where we weren't necessarily, you know, stuck inside if we didn't have to be. Good way of getting out of, getting out and being busy and keeping your mind off of all the stuff that's going on in the world. Rest, being a respiratory therapist during COVID, I'm sure, was a, a struggle. It's very different. Um, all hospitals have intubated patients that, that means they have a breathing tube and they're on a ventilator. Um, respiratory therapists are a huge part of that. We help manage and run the ventilator um, while patients are doing that. Um, beforehand, you'd have patients that would be on ventilators for numerous reasons, and then eventually they would come off um, and things would be, you know, they'd get extubated, pull the tube out, they'd breathe on their own. Things would be fine. COVID turned all of that on its head for a lot of us. We, there's, one of the biggest challenges with COVID with me, um, especially at the VA uh, and at my other hospital, was respiratory therapists are involved in what they call compassionate extubation, where a family decides to discontinue care of their loved one. Um, so it's a respiratory therapist and a nurse that are in the room when a family decides this. We turn off the ventilator, we take the tube out, and we put it into God's hands um, at that point. That doesn't happen. It didn't before COVID happen terribly often. You'd get, you know, a couple, five-ish maybe a year. Um, I can't tell you how many people um, are veterans actually that I extubated compassionately during that time. It got to the point where I reached out to our chaplain because I started to feel uh, responsible, like for these people dying. Because if not, if not for me pulling the tube, they'd still be on the ventilator and still fighting. Right. Um, I had never had to deal with that in that extreme as a respiratory therapist before because I became an RT two years before COVID hit. So I was a baby RT, didn't really have to deal with stuff like that. I'd been to codes, I'd been to all that kind of stuff, but COVID hit me really hard um, in the resiliency type area of, you know, I mean, I was even talking to Alex, I'm like, how, how do I not, you know, how do I not feel responsible? How do I do this? Um, and I think the support that I received from Alex from that I really helped to, like, strengthen our bond even more yeah. um, as I transitioned through all of COVID. It's hard when your spouse is aching emotionally. How did you approach Nick with a sense of empathy? I mean, you're, you're, you work at Ecolab, and you're, you're a brilliant man, and uh, I guess... How, how did he come home? How could you tell that he needed that type of emotional care? And 
how did you approach that? Uh, I mean, luckily we have a very open uh, like communication and relationship. So I mean, if he was struggling, he would just tell me. It wasn't a lot of trying to like figure out how you're feeling type thing. Yeah. Because uh, I think that's important in a healthy relationship. And a lot of time it's just listening more so than trying to give advice sometimes. I just kind of let them vent on what the issue is and, um, you know, trying to get, I mean, like I was like, you know, I reinforce like it's, you didn't do that to them type thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, the more unfortunate part is like when you would see people talk, you know, COVID's fake, COVID's all this. And like, you don't see what people have to deal with on like a daily basis in that scenario, like healthcare. Um, so that was more, that's probably the hard part of COVID for me. It was like people trying to explain that to me, even like people I knew that I thought I was close with that, you know, good friends with. And all of a sudden you're like, Hmm, you're very different than I thought you were. Yeah. Uh, Cause it just shows lack of like, empathy for people that are like in that scenario. Nick was in that scenario. So um, a lot of it was just listening and understanding and just kind of talking through it as it happened. And it wasn't all the time, but you could tell when there's like a harder week than the week before type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the secret of all good relationships, isn't it? Listening and, not necessarily solving all the problems, but being that soft place for one another. COVID just brought it all at once, it feels like. Yeah. the vol- It was the volume of everything. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Alex, I have a question for you. So, you and I are the non-military people <laughs> at the table, right? Um, so, being a, a newly married military spouse, is there anything that surprised you um what's it been like uh really during the first couple of years there wasn't much like deployment or anything but then there's like a week we went to alaska which was like the first time you were gone for a longer period of time and then went to japan um so like that was just different to not have them there every single day especially since during covid we were basically together every single day um like all the time and so at me like working from home a lot of times, like, if you had a day off, I was still just home. Like, we were just still home together. Um, so, luckily, my, you know, I was able to talk to my sister-in-law because my brother's active duty military. Uh, and, you know, he used to go on deployments for two, three months at a time when they had kids and stuff like that. So, I'm sure that was a lot more difficult than me just having a dog to deal with. But, um, so, just kind of talking to her and, like, how she kind of got through. And she says a lot of times, just, like, you know, in today's age, it's a lot easier to communicate on a frequent basis when somebody's overseas. Uh, you know, like when you're in Japan, I mean, we basically talked all day. Like it wasn't really any different. Yeah, we had a lot of, because of Japan's time frame, there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> I would be awake when he would go to bed, and thankfully Alex stays up late, and then I would be awake through the whole day and then would be able to stay up late enough on my end for him to wake up in the morning, and then I would turn around um, and go to bed um, at night. So it kind of, it worked out in just the right way to where we could say good morning and good night to each other. Um, while I was in Japan, uh, I took a manning assist over the summer. So I was in Japan for five weeks, um, okay. flying with the active duty PACAF CCAT unit out of Kadena um, to fly critical care air transport patients. That um, would be what CCAT stands yes, for. Yes, critical care <laughs> air transport team, sorry. What is PACAF? Uh, the Pacific Air Forces. Okay. Um, so, but I was out there with their active duty team. I got to fly a couple of patients, one out of mainland Japan and one out of Guam to bring them back to uh, Hawaii and San Diego hospitals, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun. A short need had come up. Um, the dates for it changed numerous times, um, but I interviewed with 
um, I suppose the highest ups on in CCAT on the guard side. Um, I'm not sure how many people I interviewed against. I rushed a passport to get everything in and ready to go, and they mm-hmm. said, never mind, active duty is going to hold on to it. And then uh, two weeks later, they said, the dates have changed. We still need somebody. Are you still interested? Um, so I went through my chain of command and said, hey, is this okay? Can I do this? And Colonel Nelson, uh, who was our commander at the time, was like, heck yeah, go do it, you know, represent. So I got to go and do that, um, you know, and spoke with Alex with it, you know, as it was happening. Um, and he was on board, so it was nice to receive the support because um, I was used to active duty deploying for four months at a time every three to six months. Yeah. Um, and regardless of who my spouse was, it was, you know, my military life, unfortunately, comes first. I, you know, I signed up to serve. This is what I'm doing, especially on the active duty side. It was 24-7. You know, I set up going out again, so it was all of my previous relationships. It was very much, can you, are you you know, emotionally stable and mature enough to handle me not being here for four months at a time. I will be in Afghanistan. I will be in a combat zone. I will not be able to talk to you every day. Like, are you prepared for that? And in some instances, it was, yes, I'm prepared. And then partway through the deployment, I guess I wasn't prepared. And But it's Alex is very um, perfect for everything that I do with the military now. It, everything is very supportive, is very, you know, ready to go, like, you know, I don't always understand what you're doing, but I get it. You know, do your thing, which is uh, which is huge. What was that conversation? I, uh, I want to kind of circle back on Lisa's question. Is that sounds like a real purposeful way of ask, of saying, "Hey, are you are you understanding? Are you willing to support? Are you mature enough to uh, to understand?" Going into a relationship with a guy in the military you had a little bit of experience just understanding or a little understanding, but what were the big concerns that you approached in that conversations? Uh, it's kind of a little bit more like what uh, he did in the military specifically type thing um, and having to learn more kind of like what he does in the military versus like active duty military and that kind of stuff. And uh, like obviously the deployments are very different in those scenarios most of the time. Um, so it really was, it was never like a, a concern or, red flag to me or anything like that. Okay, Okay, my turn to ask the next question. Nick, you uh, talked a little bit about your time in active duty, Mm -hmm. and you grew up in Colorado, New Jersey. Yep. A a little mix in between graduate high school and Colorado, though. Yes. So those are like oddball places in the world compared to right here in the middle of Minnesota, right? Yes. How did you find your way to Minnesota? Uh, So I found my way to Minnesota on my last active duty deployment, um, which was deployment number five uh, and trip number eight, I think, to the desert. Um, I had applied actually to cross train and I wanted to cross train into medical. At the time, the Air Force was doing... um, voluntary separation pay, the VSP program, and they closed down all of the cross-training into medical. So um, as a first-term airman in the active duty, you are guaranteed to be able to cross-train, or at least you were, you know, eight years ago, however long that was. Um, You're guaranteed to to be able to cross-train regardless of what career field you're in. Occasionally, a critically manned career field can say, no, we need you here because we're critically manned, we don't have enough people. Um, but I was first term, I was guaranteed to cross-train, then all of the cross-training shut down, 
I wanted to do medical or legal, um, so I then interviewed to be a paralegal. Long story short, got approved by MAGCOM, and then AFPC said no, and this happened while I was deployed on my last deployment. So you're, um, you're saying one big part of our bureaucratic organization said yes, and yeah. one big part of our bureaucratic organization said, said no. no. And when the personnel center said no, uh, it was the personnel center that was like, we have the decision on that. And it was because they were force shaping. Um, and at that point, I got very jaded and very upset um, with active duty military because I knew that my active duty military career field would could land afterwards in like BAE or L3 or Raytheon, some kind of like tech, neat type company like that. That's not where my passion uh, was. Um, I gave up a medical job in the military to fly because I thought that would be cooler. And my mom before me was a radio operator, an airborne radio operator in the Air Force in the 80s, um, which was really neat. So I kind of followed in her footsteps, unbeknownst to me at the time. Um, but with all of that happening, I had said, you know, do I want to do this anymore? I can't cross-train. Am I going to be stuck here? You know, I want to make a career out of it, but maybe it's time for me to say goodbye to the military. I met someone on that deployment. Um, things were going very well. Um, I ended up submitting for voluntary separation. The Air Force paid me um, a decent amount of money to leave active duty military. I met all the qualifications, and um, the gentleman that I was in a relationship with, with at the time was actually here uh, on the reserve side in the 934th. Um, and I was like, well, I'm getting out of active duty. I lined up a job to teach ballroom dance here in Minnesota and left in 2014 and moved up here. Um, and that relationship was good until it wasn't. And then <laughs> four years later, that relationship uh, didn't exist anymore, and that's, I, I decided to stay up here at that point. I was already back. Um, I had already re-enlisted into the Guard and had been trained as an RT, so um, I figured, why not? I'll stay. Um, we were living in Wisconsin, so I moved from the Wisconsin side to the Minnesota side, and yeah. I suppose the rest is history. But that's, that's how I ended up in Minnesota from New Jersey and Colorado was, was a, a, fortunately a failed engagement. Um, but... You know, everything is a learning experience, and I was brought here to do this, you know, by whichever power for whatever reason. Yeah. And if I could do it all over again, I to the land where I am now, I would do the same things. Obviously, and the winners are so fantastic too. <laughs> yeah, they're great. <laughs> cool. Wrong. <laughs> We're all agreeing. It's it's been a rough winter in Minnesota. It's been rough, yeah. Believe me, adjusting to Minnesota from Tucson was yeah. very different. <sighs> Indeed. Yeah. Let's lighten things. So what's the most pleasant thing about being married for you two so far? It's weird because it feels the same as before being <laughs> married. Because we, because we lived together for two years before we, you know, before we got married. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really nice now to be able to say, my husband, you know, instead of my fiancé. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I'm deliberately vague, depending on the crowd that I keep with the whole gay thing. You know, not everybody is is accepting. Not everybody is up to speed. Um, there's a lot going on kind of on that side of the fence that, you know, even Alex and I don't necessarily agree with. The, the loudest voices get the most attention, and the loudest voices don't always speak for everybody as far as the LGBTQ plus community is concerned. Isn't that true on so many things? Yes. <laughs> so with that, it, you know, there was a there was a little bit of safety in being able to say, "Oh, my fiance," because then you know, 
well, nobody would know, you know, is your fiance a man or a woman? Um, but now I find a lot of pride in being able to say, you know, you know, oh, my husband does this and no, my husband and I are going out later. So that, that has been, I think the best part for me and the biggest change since being, you know, married other than of course the legal protection. If God forbid something happens to one of us, we don't have to fight the state for assets. Yeah. So as, as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, blank and blunt as that is, that's unfortunately it's the reality right. that we live in. So it, it is a part of it though. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Alex, do you agree? Yes, I agree. Right. I think, uh, you know, I wasn't out to my family when I met Nick initially. Uh, so I don't remember how long it was, probably six months ish. Your mom. I remember, I remember meeting your mom for the first time. Oh, my mom did. That we I forgot, yeah. Dating. My yeah. mom, my mom did know. And then um, I went to rest my family, I think, in October of that year. Yeah. And they were all very accepting of it. Um, and then kind of socially is like going out to like larger groups. Like there's some friends that, that didn't that knew and didn't know. And then professionally, it kind of is a, depending on the relationship I have with those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because unfortunately, working in the field I do is a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not the the viewpoint that they share. Mm-hmm. So I try to keep uh, my professional life very separate from my personal life uh, when it comes to, like that topic. So yeah. you, you do work with a lot of farmers. Yeah. <laughs> and we can, we, like I said, you have a, you're a humble, decent guy, but I, you're brilliant. You have a patent. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you've designed? Yeah. So, um, you know, I started Ecolab, in 2014, I've been there about eight years now, working in the same group. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've been working on a, a new technology for utter care um, using uh, something called PFA, or it's called uh, Performic Acid. Uh, just basically uses a new sanitizer to the market. Um, but working with one of our more brilliant chemists than I, who has a PhD, uh, we were able to kind of work through and understand that if we added a certain ingredient, we could actually increase the shelf life of that product versus... Uh, not having it there and those ingredients have been using those products for years and nobody noticed the impact to it uh and so we did and so we ended up getting a patent granted for it uh i think spring of last year so i didn't think that's what i'd do with my life but that's what ended up happening and uh, i never thought i grew up uh you know around horses in a ranch my entire life Mm -hmm. uh my goal is to never go back to that and then it just kind of ended up falling into it uh, again um, and I ended up luckily having a really good supportive manager, and that's kind of what has kept me at Ecolab. Great. That is cool. I'm going to reintroduce you guys, and we're going to take a short break. Uh, Lisa and I have been talking with Alex Thomas and Tech Sergeant Nick Baker of our 133rd Medical Group. We're going to take a brief commercial break. Please stick around and join us for our second section. Thanks for sticking around for the second half of our annual Valentine's Day special edition of Beneath the Wing. Lisa and I are joined by Tech Sergeant Nick Baker of the 133rd Medical Group and his husband, Alex. Guys, thanks for sticking around. Thank you. All right. So we started down the road here in the first section. Um, Nick, you served during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Correct. And I've, I've often referred to that as the wrong step in the right direction when it comes to policy. What was it like being a gay man in the military during that time and when it was repealed? So initially, um, 
initially I was very, I was very scared that somebody would find out. So I enlisted three years and some change before DADT was eventually repealed. Um, and so I very quickly had to, thankfully I was single at the time, I very quickly had to um, learn how to, how to almost have, you know, separate everything. I have my military life and I have my personal life. And those two things are never allowed to come together because if they do, because, you know, because of don't ask, don't tell, I potentially get in trouble. And I had had friends, I had seen people that um, had gotten kicked out of some of the other services. And I mean, and it was not, you know, depending on the nature of it, it may not have been just a general discharge. It could have been a dishonorable discharge, which is very not good for you, you know, later on in life um, where things are concerned. So I had friends as I, as I grew in the military, I began to then have friends that knew, um, uh, but I wouldn't openly speak about it while at work um, for those reasons. Um, we had someone that wanted to get out of the military. She ended up, um, I think she ended up coming out to the commander at the time. And instead of getting out of the military, she lost a stripe and then was ineligible for a promotion. And, you know, that I think was more devastating than what she wanted to do. Um, but so pre, you know, pre-repeal. Um, it was very compartmentalized. I have these friends. And of course you found a way, we always found a way to kind of gravitate towards each other. Um, so, you know, there were a few of us within the wing, um, that were, and like those of us on base that were before DADT and that then became like my military social group, you know, because somehow or another we, you know, we ran into each other, you know, downtown in Tucson, or we'd go out in Phoenix, um, you know, to get away from anybody that we may see, uh, in Tucson, you know, just to kind of protect ourselves. Um, you know, and so we would find each other and then we had our own kind of little groups. Um, and it was a good way to have, you know, support and, and that kind of thing. Post DADT, I didn't run, you know, I say I didn't run through the halls, but I didn't openly announce that, you know, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a ha gotcha type moment for me. Um, it was a, okay, cool. Now I can openly talk about, you know, whoever I'm dating or I can openly be myself or, you know, I don't have to always switch the pronouns because one of the conversations you have when you're deployed is very much, you know, you know, you talk about your spouse, you talk about, you know, they talk about their wives and their girlfriends and their kids and all these things. And I always had to change he to she or use they, or, you know, be very non, you know, non-committal into a gender type thing, you know, to, you know, change the name from whatever it was to, you know, a female name. Um, and, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I got very good at it. <laughs> so, but after that, to be able to just take a breath and go, I don't have to feel like I'm, you know, I'm not able to be myself anymore. I can bring, you know, my personal life to an extent and my, you know, and my professional military career, you know, I can do that together. I can go to, you know, some of these, you know, group gatherings that people are having and I can bring my spouse with me because before, you know, the annual holiday party and all this other stuff. Like I couldn't, I couldn't bring my boyfriend at the time with me to the annual Christmas party for, you know, for that because they'd go, well, who is that? You know, and I, I couldn't just pass him off as a friend. Yeah. Um, so, but nothing, um, uh, I don't know the right word to use. Nothing in the way that I carried myself or in the way that I did business changed. I was still who I was. I was still flying on the same aircraft. I was still flying the same missions. I was still deploying with the same crews. Um, I just didn't have to always be looking over my shoulder anytime that I was texting my significant other or anything like that. So right. it was very um, much more room to breathe. 
kind of thing. And, and surprisingly, most people didn't care. Um, I always thought it would be this big deal and everybody would be, you know, very against me or I would get shunned or treated differently. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, that wasn't the case. It wasn't, it wasn't a detail that mattered when it came to the mission and what we were here to do. The idea of talking about resiliency in people. Um, do you feel like the experience, and it pains me that we had airmen that were serving in the military, soldiers, sailors, marines. We didn't have guardians yet, but we had people serving in the military that couldn't be 100% who they are 100% of the time um, because of who they loved. Is it easier and are you a more resilient person now having gone through that and easier to serve? Do you feel like your, your ability to do your job is better because you're more, I don't know if the word is balanced or not. Nick, tell me if I'm saying that wrong. I think I understand what you mean. It's, it is easier to be cohesive with my unit when I can be myself 100%. I don't have to hold back a part of me to you know, to be cohesive with my unit. Active duty, I suppose it was kind of the same way because your personal life shouldn't weigh in, you know, when you're flying outside the wire, that kind of thing. So you should have no problem being cohesive. But it was before DADT, the repeal of, it was harder to be a cohesive member of my unit because I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't be part of certain conversations or I couldn't hang out with those people. For my first three years in the military, I almost never hung out with another military member when I wasn't, at work, I I very much had my own complete separate, you know, separate thing. So it was very difficult to, you know, oh, what are your plans this weekend? Oh, I, I'm just I'm gonna sit at home because you can't be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to Phoenix and you know go country dancing at the gay bar, you know. And then if you say I'm gonna go to Phoenix and country dancing, you just might get that person that goes, let me come with you. And I'm like, not unless a lot of people get real cool about a lot of stuff real quickly. <laughs> so no, please don't. Um, so it's much easier now because, you know, obviously, you know, this unit knows there were plenty of people from our unit that were at mine and Alex's wedding. Um, ask Major Lenning about the pyramid. <laughs> we'll have Later to. On. She's been on the podcast already has, once, so yep. too late. Yeah. Can't ask her on this. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, the ability to be, you know, to, to be cohesive and to connect on more than just a, this is my job and my duty level is what I have now as, a, as compared to, to then. Yeah. So talking about that cohesive lifestyle, it's a great way of, of, of describing that. And I, I feel like I have a better understanding of where you're coming from. Um, Alex, you you mentioned in the first segment about coming out and what that was like. Do you mind sharing your story of, of yeah. how that uh, that came about in your family? Because it was later in life than, than yep. Nick. Yeah, my, uh, I was only out to a handful of people when I first met Nick. Uh, one of those people being my mom. And then some other closer friends. Um, and it, to me, I never really felt, I guess, the need to. Like, it wasn't really compelling to me. I was kind of like, I'm just living my life. I'm just going to do the way I want to. I don't have to share it with everybody. Uh, but then as Nick and I started getting closer, I kind of realized that there was more there. Um, and I realized to make it uh, more healthy for the both of us was to come out to at least my family. Um, I grew up in a family that was pretty conservative growing up, you know, Catholic. Um, and so I was a little, hesitant. I wasn't really worried about my, one well, of my brothers, my sister and my mom, cause they were a little more open. Uh, my oldest brother and my dad were a little more conservative. Um, so it was a little more of a concern there. Uh, but once I did, they were all very, uh, 
accepting of it. Uh, really nothing negative came out of it. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of basically, I just knew there in order to make this stronger and healthier, I had to kind of be more forthcoming to my family about my lifestyle. You feel like you have that level of internal cohesivity, uh, a little bit more in balance, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it allows us, you know, to be able to do everything together now uh, and things like that. I would think that would be potentially a real significant barrier to a good long-term relationship mm-hmm. to have any kind of walls like that constructed, yeah. but especially constructed from the outside to you rather yeah. than, you know. Another anyway. thing, kind of, I mean, you realize that there are unfortunately walls that are still there for some other reasons on your professional side um, because, you know, there's rules against retaliation and stuff like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can say somebody started treating you different because they found out, uh, like you can't really hold that up against anybody. So, uh, I still am pretty selective at work of like who I tell and don't tell. A lot of times it's just people. always telling me I'm very private it's just cause I am naturally introverted. So I just not going to go tell everybody about my life and what I did all weekend. Um, so that really hasn't been that hard for me on the, the professional side of things to try to, I guess, I don't know, control it. I don't know what the correct word is. But I don't really get asked about that much because I don't tell anybody anything. No, I, yeah, your work is very, it's very easy for you for your work to just be your work because, you know, your, your work friends that you don't work with in the same department, but any of the ones that we hang out with, they were either A, at our wedding, uh, so obviously they know, and we've been to a couple of their weddings now um, as a couple, which was a lot of fun. So the people that matter at his work know and don't care. And then the other people where it's not pertinent information, you know, and, and that's fine. And it's really easy because he can work from home, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like he has to put on a mask as it were, you know, with other people at work. Um, but you know, it, with, as far as the family stuff goes, Alex and I very much enjoy like hosting and having people over and kind of doing that thing. Um, you know, like hosting Christmas or hosting Thanksgiving and, without him being out to his family it would have been fairly impossible to do (laughs) to do things like that um but it wasn't an important deciding factor in our relationship from my standpoint um because i knew that it wasn't a decision that i could force him into and it wasn't my place to kind of adjust his family dynamics so my role in all of that was what do you need me to do you know i mean he was shaking waiting for text messages to come back after he after he sent it. And he sent it when I wasn't home. Um, I got back from work one day. He's like, so I sent a text to my family. And I was like, oh, how'd it go? He's like, I don't know. Nobody's replied. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll make dinner. Um, <laughs> let's let's do something else while we wait. Was pre- I mean, so at that time, uh, my brother, military, they were in, I think, Virginia at that point. And then my other brother was in Omaha Medical School. My sister is here, and then my parents are separated, but they both are from here. So as long as you're just to do it that way and not – there would be no way to do it in person in a reasonable way. So, yeah, it, uh, to me it was one of those things where – I mean, my mom was like, wow, like I kind of always knew yeah. type thing. Uh, but she's like, it's not my place to say it. Um, so it's one of those things where she was very accepting at the beginning, and then she knew the entire time we were together. But like we went to that. Yeah, I remember it was lunch. The first time I met your mom was at lunch, and she was 20 minutes late, as you said she would be, to, <laughs> to get to 
to get to lunch. So, yeah. but it was a good time. So it's I. Alex's family has been very um, accepting and supportive uh, of me, and you know, in the best way they can. We don't interact with their family constantly. Um, I think now in town is only your mom, your sister, and your dad because the middle brother is up in Duluth, and then um, the oldest brother is active duty out in uh, Virginia area, doing stuff out there. But you know, anytime we get together um, with gatherings, um, it's very nice that I am referred to as Uncle Nick. Um, to you know the nieces and nephews that I'm inheriting on Alex's side, so that's that's really cool for me because um, I you know I didn't think that I'd, that that would be something that came so immediately and abruptly because every all the all my nieces and nephews are eight or less aside from one of them who's nine now I think um, so they're all nine years and younger so I figured that might be a oh this is Alex's you know roommate or something until we got to a little bit later on. Um, kind of in life, but it's nice because that you know we don't have to be any different um, than we are now as the as the kids grow up. So yeah, those littles are growing up, understanding that love is love. Yes, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to ask you guys to each share the thing that you admire most about the other. <laughs> go first. Alex, you looked right over at him yeah, right no. away. <laughs> uh, I think the thing that I've always admired most about Nick uh, was kind of like his drive and ambition for things that he does. I mean, for uh, like kind of his background growing up, uh, he's made it a very long way and a lot of it's self-driven. Um, and I think that's really important that people have that quality in them, um, that they're not dependent on somebody else to make sure that they're happy, that type of thing. Uh, and being able to, if they have a goal, they can achieve it uh, by just putting in the hard work to do it. That's what I've always I've found the connection with, with you. Nick. Uh, for me, I've always admired um, Alex's fierce sense of uh, independence, which is fantastic. Um, I've been in relationships where uh, it's felt like the other person is codependent on me and I'm responsible for their happiness at all times. Um, and I really like that Alex is, he's, he's very much, um, he's intelligent. We can have good, meaningful conversations. Um, and you know, he's fiercely independent and then he's also very successful in everything that he's done. He's got the patent, he's, you know, working his way up the ramp, you know, up the ladder at Ecolab. He's very driven, um, for all of that. And so we can, I appreciate that we can both share being, you know, the breadwinner as it were, you know, like none of us feels financially responsible for the other. Everything is, is a joint effort and we both contribute equally to, you know, our house, our bills, our dog, everything can be ours. And it, there's no, there's no feeling of this is mine and this is yours. Like everything that we have, it is an hour thing, you know, as we, as we move through our journey together. So it's, it's very, different and very refreshing um and it does feel like a true partnership yeah so nice to have those words of affirmation is one of those love languages that is it yeah. All right. <laughs> it just it it goes so far especially if that's the primary one yeah that's great you ready to play sure okay we're gonna play a game called would you rather usually i do a quick question in these podcasts but for the sake of having a couple on we play would you rather Mm -hmm. So, um, I'll start okay. if that's okay with you, my dear. And, um, 
Nick, you get to answer first, and then Alex, you get to answer second. Would you rather shovel snow or mow the lawn? <laughs> <laughs> shovel snow. <laughs> really? Alex? I do both of them most of the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Lisa? Uh, would you rather dance or sing? Oh, for, well, for me, it's dance. Everybody be singing. And Alex is singing. Mm -hmm. I got a little background, so I knew the answers to that one already. See Paramore in concert or Taylor Swift if you can get tickets. Paramore. Hmm. If you were in Arizona in a couple months, you'd actually get to see them both in concert together. But oh, really? Yeah. I'd probably see Taylor Swift or Paramore at this point. All right. Do you work to live or live to work? Ooh. Sorry, I didn't mean I, for that I, to be hard. I work to live. I think I also, I don't know. I love what I do. I really do. I am, I love what I do in the hospital. I've, I'm very, very passionate about being an RT and, and doing the healthcare thing that I do. I mean, I've had my other RT friends joke um, that if you can picture the scene in Mrs. Doubtfire when Stu starts choking and Robin Williams comes running, help is on the way, dear, and like vaults a wall. That's me running to codes. Yeah. So I think I live to work <laughs> in that aspect. Fair enough. Laugh with each other or have deep conversations? I would say laugh with each other. Yeah. Would you rather have more time or more money? Good time. I would also say time. Would you rather cook or do dishes? Ugh. I do the dishes, <laughs> and Alex and cooks. Cook, yeah. Fair enough. That works for a lot. Uh, when you watch a movie, would you prefer to have a movie make you scream, cry, or laugh? Mine is scream. Hmm. I'd probably say laugh. Okay. Even though we watch a lot of scary movies together. Paint a room or vacuum the entire house? Paint a room. I'd rather vacuum. Why does that work? Lisa, last uh, one. Read a book, listen to music, or watch a favorite show? Mine is read a book. Maybe watch a favorite show. Hang on. Okay. Alex, what's the best thing about being married to someone in the military? Hmm. Uh, I think... Part of it comes from the, I think, a personality of like, uh, like organization kind of driven. I think a lot of that is instilled in you when you kind of join the military. Yeah. I think that uh, I would, I would the benefit so, yeah. of it. It's, yeah, I had no direction when I joined at 18 and it very much gave me a sense of purpose and like self-sufficientism. Yeah. So the military taught me a lot <laughs> that I probably would not have learned otherwise. Is this our wrap-up question? Yep. Mark? All right. Um, I think for both of you, um, each independently answer, any advice for non-military partners who might just not get the requirements of military life? You go first. Um, why am I going first? You're the non-military partner. Uh, advice I would give... Um, and you're, for someone that's just not getting the military component of it, um, is to always have an open mind and understand that people that want to serve in the military, probably nine times out of ten, 
are, well, everybody is serving a purpose greater than themselves. Um, but I think a lot of people join the military because of that facet of it. Yes, there's education benefits. Yes, if you're active duty, it's a guaranteed job and a guaranteed paycheck and, you know, all that other stuff behind it. Um, but it's understanding that a lot of people in the military see what they're doing and, and as serving a higher purpose than just serving themselves. It's, you know, we have members in the wing, you know, it's not just about the money or it's not about this. It's about, you know, it's about the experience and that the call to duty as it were. Um, so just to try to be understanding that, you know, your spouse feels a calling for something greater than themselves. And their answer to that was the military. Yeah. I think, uh, just kind of, double on that but then it's also like a it shows a sense of like selflessness of that person to kind of be able to just serve their country uh willingly first of all i mean you willingly join it. it's not like you're forced into it i'll have to argue with nick sometimes i think it'd be helpful sometimes if people are required to do service for like two three years of their life but i think it'd make patriotism a, a real thing but um yeah i think it's understanding that the amount of sacrifice they give to basically help the country and support the country. Thanks for supporting him while he supports the country. Of course. Our, our military spouses just don't get the credit that they deserve half the time for the sacrifices that you all get to go through too. Thanks, Lisa. You're welcome. Yeah. Guys, thanks for joining us on Beneath the Wing. Alex, Nick, it has been a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. We will have another episode featuring another newlywed couple for our next episode. So I hope you join Lisa and I as we host the next uh, episode of Beneath the Wing. And uh, just preemptively, congratulations, Nick, on your upcoming promotion out here at the Wing. Thanks, sir. All right. Great to have you both on. Thank you.